Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Good morning, Coastal Community Church. Great to see you this morning. How amazing is it that uh, we gain from Christ's reward? Isn't that amazing? And what an amazing Savior we have. And uh, all the, yeah, there's about 10 people think that's great. The rest of us aren't sure. And you haven't been listening as we went through Hebrews together. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And uh, we're kind of bringing this down to a home stretch, uh, greater than series. And uh, while you're turning there, um, I'm going to kind of fill you in. I want to take a moment this morning and just give you a couple little updates on some things going around Coastal. I haven't done that in a while, and uh, we're a little later in the summer. First of all, uh, I want to thank you guys. I kind of stood up here last week and said, hey, on the way out, if you could try to leave the doors closed as best as possible. Last week was the first 11 o'clock service, and it was cool in here, okay? So thank you for your help with that and continue with that. I also kind of let you know that... Um, you know, we're going to have to start scooching in and coming forward as we're filling up as the summer months are over. I even think we had to bring more chairs in this morning. Um, you know, we had a membership class last night. We were a coastal class. We had our largest class ever. It was over 60 people in the class. And one, yeah, that's great. And one of the things I told them, I said, if you're a member at Coastal, that means we're going to ask you to sit closer to the front, park further away, and find a place to serve. All right, so that's what it means to be a member. And so there are about 30 seats in the front row that generally go unoccupied. All right, so you can move up front, and uh, you know, eventually we'll get this right sound system. Uh, in the meantime, you can wear earplugs if it's too loud up front. All right, and uh, so let me give you a little Beyond update. And if, if you're new to Coastal, you're like, what's Beyond? Beyond is a campaign that we did as a church body together uh, for us to relocate, for us to move from the other location to purchase this building and, and to build this building out. We set a goal as a church to raise a million dollars over and above our regular giving. Uh, we took in the, the, the church, the, the people that were there at the time pledged. Uh, we took in $950,000 of pledges, okay, uh, not money, and of uh, pledges, and so we felt like it was close enough to our goal to move forward. Um, we, God blessed us with the sale of the other property. There were some things that happened along the way, like appraisals and things out of my control, that we had to drop the sale price. Uh, our contractors were kind enough to work with us. They let us build this building out and pay as we go, okay? So is everybody aware of that? I've kind of updated you on that. And so, so here's where we are, okay? What, to date, we've taken in $780,000 towards our goal of a million, which is fantastic, okay? Which means uh, between now and the end of December, 
December, we did an 18-month pledge drive. Between now and the end of December, uh, we would like to hit our target of $220,000 to raise over and above regular giving. And church... I think we can do it, okay? Uh, and, so, and so here's what I want to let you know, okay? So over the summer months, um, the, the pace that we're on on giving towards the beyond has actually declined, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. But on the current pace, we won't hit that number. All right, we're going to come up short. And so what that means for us, Coastal's not going under, okay? It just means it's going to take us longer to pay back our contractors, and it's going to take longer to do the capital improvements that we want to do, okay, around the building. And so, and that's okay if that's what God has, okay? But I still think we can hit the mark, okay? And, and so I want to challenge us to do that. I think part of the reason the pledges have come in less over the summer is a lot of you all listened to what I asked uh, back in the spring. And I said, hey, if you can fulfill your pledge early, that's a huge help. And so I think I know a lot of you did that. And so I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, I know a lot of people probably made some pledges. And, you know, sometimes you make a pledge and the business doesn't do quite what you'd hoped or those kind of things. And if that's where you are, I understand and I want you to continue to pray. And I want want you to even consider giving a little bit towards your pledge to fulfill that. Um, Now, how can we make this happen? We'll have some ideas, and I'll share those more later in the fall, probably in later September. Um, But here's what I want to encourage you with and challenge us with, okay? If you're in the group that you said, you know what, I fulfilled my pledge... And you can do more. God has blessed you, you know, and that's something my home is praying about. We're talking about, you know, sometimes in church life we got to fill the gaps, right, uh, for other people. And so I want you to pray about, hey, can we hit the goal? Now, if I were to have hired a fundraiser, which I didn't do. A lot of churches hire a fundraiser to come in and help you raise funds. A fundraiser will tell you that you're going to raise 85% of your goal, right? And that's kind of the standard in the industry, on our current pace, we're going to hit that, okay, which excites me. I'm so excited. But I just believe bigger things about Coastal Community Church. I'm kind of like, Lord, why can't we hit 100% of our goal, you know, and, fr- and free up the thing, the, pay the people that we owe in, the, in a timely manner and move forward. And so, and so let's all begin to pray, God, you know, between now and December, what part would you have me play in hitting that goal. Does that make sense? And so, you know, we don't have the big red thermometers up here, and I don't, I try not to talk about that every week. You know, I don't want to do that, but I want you guys to be aware that's where we are. You guys have been generous. Uh, we're continuing to grow, and we want to continue to, to service the people that God wants to send us in this ministry. And so let's hit that goal of beyond uh, and make that happen, okay? Um, so there you go. Good stuff, though. It's exciting, right? And it's great, great. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. Thank you for clapping. He's excited about it. I'm excited about it. And uh, so today, uh, we're actually going to talk about contentment. And uh, this is the next passage, of, the next verse in our passage of Hebrews. I, years ago, um, I saw this advertisement. It was probably 15 years ago now. Uh, I don't know. In the old days, they, in a building, they would put like an emergency firebox made of glass. I don't know how many of y'all remember that. And behind this glass would be either like a fire hose or a fire extinguisher uh, or a fire axe, right? And then across the glass, it would say, in case of emergency, do something. What? Break the glass, right? 
in hindsight, you're like, that's a really bad idea. I'm going to lacerate and cut my arm off in the emergency, right? But, you know, but that's how we did it back then, right? And so years ago, I saw this commercial, and behind the glass, instead of there being some kind of a emergency equipment, there was this beautiful Mercury Grand Marquis. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, that used to be a luxury car, all right? And so, and so there was this luxury car behind the glass, and across the glass, it said, in case of discomfort, break the glass. And I thought that was cute and it was creative, but I was like, as I processed that, I thought, you know, that's kind of the American way, isn't it? Like, we, we pretty quickly equate discomfort with, man, this is an emergency, right? And I'm uncomfortable and I need to do whatever I need to do, however quickly I need to do it in order to get comfortable again. And it's kind of the American way. And so if I'm feeling discomfort, man, I need to go buy this or get a new job or buy a new home or find a new boyfriend or girlfriend or or maybe even find a whole new spouse if I'm uncomfortable. In fact, we even, we have people that, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable in your church, just go find a new church or a new preacher or a new small group. And the list goes on and on and on because in American culture, man, we equate discomfort as an emergency. This morning, we've been unpacking this text of Hebrews, and, and we, we've labeled this t- series greater than because the author of Hebrews is trying to remind us that Jesus Christ is the main point. Jesus Christ is greater than all else. For 12 chapters, very theological, we unpacked who Christ is, why we need to worship him, why you need to accept him today, and in chapter 13 is kind of the so what And so what? Because Jesus is building this kingdom that cannot and will not be shaken. And because that's the kingdom that Jesus is building, the first so what is that we're freed up to love unconditionally and passionately. The next so what is because because Jesus is building a a kingdom that cannot be shaken, with the first place of the overflow of that worship of Christ is in our homes as we honor marriage. And now the author says, listen, we can live with contentment. Now let me make sure you understand the context of the people that are receiving this letter. The people that are receiving this letter are, they're, they're being persecuted because they're Christians. And it's not just like physical ailments, like, man, my back hurts, or man, my knee, or whatever. They are losing their stuff. They are going to jail because they're Christians. And so the recipients of this letter are actually thinking about going back to their old way of worshiping, which would have been under the old covenant of the Old Testament. And so the author's like, no, no, Jesus is greater than, and he's building this unshakable kingdom no matter what is going on around you. And so in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, check this out. The author writes, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence that the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I'll tell you something, church. There's very, very few things that will steal your contentment like the love of money. That's what the author says here. He says, don't love money. In fact, I actually preached on this last summer in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And of course, it sounds a lot like what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 9, where Paul says this, but people 
who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What's Paul and what is the author of Hebrews talking about here? Well, ultimately, he's talking about the main issue is what's in your heart. It's really the idea is is what is in your heart? What, What has captured your heart? You can't be captured by Jesus and captured by money. Last week I said, and it's interesting to me that these two verses that we're unpacking go back to back. I said, I think... The two main sins plaguing American culture, Christian culture, is sexual sin and greed. We're, we, it, and, it's, and it's, listen, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to encourage you. Like the culture is, is throwing at you the idea of just loving money and the things that it can get you. And by the way, don't, don't misquote this, this verse. These verses always get misquoted. I hear people say this frequently. The Bible says that money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Money is the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says. Okay, that's not, it's a misquote, right? I don't know how many um, country, country music fans we have, right? Any country music fans that would admit it in church? Okay, a couple of you. Chris Jansen sings a song. What's he sing? And if nobody wants to admit it, right? You're in church. What's he sing? You're going to buy me a what? You're going to buy me a boat, right? And make sure he has a truck to pull it. In the middle of this song, he says, they call me a redneck, white trash, and blue collar. But I could change all that if I had a couple what? Anybody know? A couple million dollars, Right? I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil. Misquoted Bible verse, all right? And you can't fit a camel through the eye of the needle. I'm sure that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool because it could buy me a boat. (laughs) All right, it's catchy. All right, but but it's wrong, okay? He's misquoted the Bible. That's the problem. Did you know the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil? The Bible says it is what? The love of money. The Bible's concerned about what has captured your heart. We just went through Hebrews, and our hearts are supposed to be captured with the worship of Jesus Christ. And if our heart, and Jesus actually taught, your heart can't be captured by two things. It's either one or the other. You can love money no matter how much money you do or don't have. I've been in some third world countries where I felt like there was there were some people that their hearts were captured with the love of money. It's it's what has your heart. And our hearts should be captured with Christ because he's greater than everything. And so don't misquote and don't misunderstand the verse. It is the love of money and the Bible cautions against this. The love of money has nothing to do with how much you do or don't have. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say it's the root of all evil. It says it's the root of all kinds of evil. Which, by the way, is no different than anything that captures our heart that's other than Jesus Christ. If if you're captured by, 
getting high or getting drunk or last week we talked about pornography that's got your heart, you know, or, or the approval of man. This is one that Pastor Sean wrestled with for a lot of years, you know, oh, like me, like me, like me. You know, if you're captured by that, you know, you're captured by looking good, you're pa- captured by promotion, you know, the list goes on. If your heart is captured by anything other than Jesus Christ, the Bible calls this idolatry. You're worshiping something other than God through his son, Jesus, and therefore that idol is going to leave you sorely disappointed. You know, one of the things I've tried to teach my boys, you know, as we grew up playing sports, is like, man, don't be captured by the sport. It's okay to work hard at it and try to be successful, but man, that's an evil mistress, right? I'm going to tell you something, the love of money, it's an evil mistress, and it's going to leave us disappointed if, if that's what's captured our hearts. I, uh, many years ago, I, uh, this is, so those of you who have been around Coastal will be able to kind of calendar this in your mind. This was back when we had three services, and one of them was on Saturday night, okay? And I preached a sermon on tithing, okay? And, so, and, and one of the reasons I preached that sermon, I actually did it a little bit differently. I, I did kind of a testimony on why I tithe. And so I taught that on Saturday night, and then in the middle of the night, I got the stomach flu, and so we had to show a video on Sunday morning. So I took that to mean I wasn't sure. Maybe that was discipline of the Lord. I wasn't supposed to teach on that or something, but so I'm going to share this with the risk that God may punish me with the stomach flu tonight. So, okay, so one of the things that I said in that is one of the reasons that I tithe, and I was brought up this way, and by the way, the tithe, the word tithe in the New Testament means tenths. Okay, And so one of the reasons I give a tenth of my income to a local church is to make sure, it's, a, it's kind of a, a shot, if you will, at the, if I'm pulling back the bow and arrow, I'm shooting, uh, shooting at the greed monster. Does that make sense? And so, in fact, 18 years ago, God convicted me of, of I used to tithe, for many, many years, I tithed on the money I brought home, and I got convicted of getting a tithe, I was only tithing on net. And the Bible doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do all specific. I don't want to get that specific, but I realized, you know what, I want, to, I want God to bless me on gross, right? I want to honor him on gross. And so I started tithing on gross. And the reason I did this, this is just a Sean Brown testimony, is because, is because I want to make sure my heart is not captured by money. And one of the ways you make sure your heart is not captured by money is to be generous. And tithing reminds me that at the end of the day, I don't provide for myself. I can work more hours. I can get more skills. I don't control the economy. There's a lot, there are so many things financially and resourcing-wise that I don't control. And so tithing reminds me at the end of the day, when it comes to making sure my heart does not love money, is to be generous and it's a checkpoint. And by the way, one of the ways I know in my heart, whether it's works-based or, or grace-based, because some of you may go out and go, he's talking about being works. No, I'm not talking about works. Is how much joy do I give with, Right? And by the way, I give with great joy. I love to support the church that I'm a part of. And at this point, it's coastal. And man, I love supporting this church. Because it's lifting up the fame of Jesus Christ. And so the author, I think, gives the antithesis. So he says, don't love money. Don't let your heart be captured with the love of money. Because we're part of a kingdom that's greater. And then he gives the antithesis to loving money. Verse 5 of Hebrews 13, don't love money. Rather, be satisfied with what? What's it say? With what you 
have, right? Love the things you have. Be satisfied with what you have. Let me ask you something. How much different would our lives be if really, we were really satisfied with just what we have? Not constantly longing for more. One of the things about greed, by the way, and covetousness is, is like, it's subtle. You know what's interesting? In all my years of pastoring, and this is true, maybe it'll change this week after I say this. In all of my years of pastoring, I have never had someone make an appointment with me and sit down and say, Pastor, I just got to confess my sin. I'm a greedy son of a gun. I tell you what, man, I love to hoard my money. I've never had that confession, you know, never. Why? Because it's subtle. No one knows. Hey, Pastor, you know what, man? I, I, I actually kind of get angry that my neighbor's driving that, and I don't get to. It's just so subtle. And we have to be careful. And so Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews here says to be, to be satisfied. Now, you know, one of my pet peeve verses, and I've ex- uh, by the way, it's not that I don't like the verses. I, I dislike the way Christians quote them, Okay. In fact, I keep threatening to do a sermon series on verses that get pulled out of context, and I hear it all the time in Christian world. And me and Pastor Andrew, Pastor Joey, we've talked about framing that sermon series. We're going to do that someday, right? Uh, but one of my pet peeve quoted out of context verses is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I know some of you are like, you don't like Philippians 4.13? No, I love the verse. I don't like the way it's used, right? Some of y'all, maybe you're like, I don't know what Philippians 4.13 is, but you'll know as soon as I start to say it, right? I can do all things through what? Christ who gives me strength. Pastor Sean, you don't like that verse? No, I love that verse, but we have to understand its context. You see, this verse gets misquoted all the time. I'm sitting down, I'm talking to somebody who's got a failing business. And I say, listen, you might want to punt this business. And you might want to think about getting a job or equipping yourself for another place because this thing's just draining all your resources. No, Pastor Sean, I know the the business is going to be just fine because I can do all things through what? Christ who gives me strength. Eh. All right. And athletes do this all the time, right? A big game, they have a big moment on TV. We shove a mic in their face, right? And they go... Man, you did a great job out there today. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so, so what happens is we hear that people hear that, right? And you're hanging out with some kid or young person that has this dream, right? And they're like, I know I'm going to play in the NFL one day. How do you know? Because I can do what? You know it. All things through Christ who gives me strength. No, you're not going to play in the NFL. You're too slow. There's no chance you're playing in the NFL. Some this is a gifting, a gifting thing. You ain't got it. I can tell you right now, Jesus already has not given you the strength to do that, okay? So just let that one die and go figure it out. All things in verse 13 of Philippians 4 does not mean... What? All things. I know that's a shock to you. Everything. I can do every. Everything does not reply here to everything. It applies to the previous two verses. 
Okay, so let's check this out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. By the way, Apostle Paul here has received a gift, a financial gift probably, from the Philippian church, the church of Philippi. And, and he's thankful for it. And then he says this in verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned to be, what's he learned to be, church? I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. What's he talking about here, church? Contentment. I've learned to be content whether I don't have anything or I have a lot. Either way, I'm content. And why am I content? Because I can do everything. What does the everything apply to? Contentment, much or little. I've learned a secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It applies to contentment. It applies applies to being satisfied with where you are in the moment and what you have. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't have dreams and we shouldn't pursue dreams. And there's some riverbanks of wisdom that we can talk about. I could talk to you one-on-one about, you know, how do you pursue your dreams in your heart and, and those kind of things. But... You know, that, that's where wisdom is applied and living in community with other Christian men and women to help you steer wisdom-wise. But, but ultimately, Paul here is talking about contentment, no matter the circumstance. Paul says, I've learned to be thankful, I've learned to be content, whether I have a little or whether I have a lot. I want you to apply this to yourself. I want you to apply this to your heart. You're a part of a kingdom in Christ. You're a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God is doing something far bigger than the here and now. Far bigger than just your little life on earth. And your life support and a part of this tapestry of God's glory that he's going to reveal sometime in eternity future. But in the meantime, we have to, man, are we really content? Because I want to tell you something. If, If you're not content, man, it's a burden that you're always stretching and driving. And man, and that burden of the culture can just weigh your heart down. In fact, I suspect there's some of you in this room right now that you've been striving and working and trying to live the American dream, whatever that is. You've been doing that so hard that you're just exhausted. I'll tell you why. It's because it's an exhausting idol. Again, the Bible doesn't say money or things are bad, but if that's what's capturing your heart as opposed to being content with what you have, that's an exhausting place to be. And Paul says, man, I've learned to live in contentment. So let me give you some what I call biblical riverbanks for being content. How, how do we live with contentment? First of all, we, hit, we, we God... We have to live with the understanding that God knows and God is sovereign over everything. When you're in a circumstance that you're in now, God knows the circumstance you're in. That wasn't a surprise to him. God knows what you need even before you need it. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is long past the scripture, so I hope you stick with me, okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 22, Jesus said this. Jesus said, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. It's not the Baltimore ravens. They don't plant 
or harvest or store food in barns and God feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. There's a whole other sermon here to the cat people in the audience, okay? But um, they're not more important than, than humans, all right? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? What's the answer? No. And if you worry, and if, you, if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? I mean, look at the lilies of the field, these flowers. They don't, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Do, why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. And don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of who, church? So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're being dominated with worry about the future and this and that, again, this is not about dreams and pursuing some of the things that are in your heart, but this is about worry. If you're being dominated by that, you're thinking like an unbeliever. You need to repent of your sin and trust in a sovereign God who cares about flowers and cares about birds and you much more than that. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a relief this morning? Man, God's got it. But your father already knows what you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So First Riverbank, God knows what you need. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your kids. He's going to take care of your spouse and your family. And the next question is, well, what is it that we really need? Right? So we're talking about some of the riverbanks. What is it to be content? What is it that we really need? 1 Timothy 6, 17, the Apostle Paul in dealing with money. And much of 1 Timothy 6, Paul deals with money. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. By the way, um, he says, teach those who are rich in this world. You're rich in this world. Okay? Almost every single one of you in this room, if you have running water and electricity and the internet... Okay, you're like off the charts wealthy in the world. Okay, so because I know a lot of us are like, this doesn't apply to me. I just live in a little three-bedroom, two-bath house. All right? That's why I want you, by the way, and I'm going to come back to this in a little bit towards the end. That's why I want you to take a missions trip. One of my dreams for Coastal is for every single person to take one missions trip internationally. It'll radically change your life. It'll change this part of your... There's many things it will change about your life, but this is one of the parts that it will change. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. I haven't forgotten 2008 and 2009, of you? I mean, I remember days where trillions of U.S. dollars were wiped out in a day, Right? I don't say that to scare you. I say that to say this verse already affirms that, right? If if we think somehow the U.S. dollar is going to save us, that's a horrifying place to be. In fact, I'll tell you something. I had some money in the market then. I kind of wish I'd given that money away. That would have been a better use of that money. See, because at the end of the day, the Lord provides for us. And in hindsight, I look back and said, Wow, the Lord provided for me. 
I still had plenty of meals, as you can tell, right? I didn't miss a meal in all that time. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our, what? What's it say, church? For our enjoyment. Isn't that cool? So there's, here's these riverbanks. Don't trust in your wealth, but there's some things in life God's given us that we can enjoy. The riverbanks of life. So I don't have to feel guilt if God has given us something nice because God has given us all things for our enjoyment. However, I recognize that wealth is unreliable. And so there are things God has given us to enjoy. I don't, there's no guilt in that. But I also understand I need to be generous. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let me ask two questions. How many of you came up in here this morning thinking, I really am content with just my food and my clothing? Like, I really am content with just that. And then the second question is, how much more generous would American Christians be if we were really just content with those two things? Right? The ministries of local churches in this community would not be suffering financially. I really believe that. I mean, if I got up here and preached a sermon just on tithing, just giving, being generous with a tenth of our income, we all get really nervous with that. Like, I don't know if I'm coming back. You know, he, he talked about money. I'll tell you something. Jesus isn't after... I'm the, I, when, I, when we take up the offering and say, we're not after your money, I mean that. I'm telling you, Jesus is after everything. Right? You don't know Jesus is Lord unless you understand he owns it all. I am not after your money. Coastal's not after your money. The kingdom of God is not after your money. The kingdom of God does not need your money. If you want to know Jesus as Savior, he is, if the Bible says you confess Jesus as what? Lord. That's not a last name. That's a position. And if you know Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible says, I am Lord over it all, and I allow you to steward your time, talent, and resources. So don't get nervous when the preacher starts talking about a tithe. Jesus owns it all. What you have is a gift from him to steward for his glory. How much more impact would we make if we were really content? Say, okay, food and clothing, I'm good. I'm going to try to be more generous. The third thing I think that helps me with contentment, understanding the idea of being content, is living with an eternal perspective. It's to live with an eternal perspective. Paul says in Timothy 6, tell them, meaning the church that Pastor Timothy is pastoring, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. One of the reasons I want to encourage you to be in the Word of God daily as a Christian, that's why I always say if you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God. It's only the Word of God that's going to give you an eternal perspective. The advertising industry spends billions to make sure you're not content with what you have and you need the new stuff to be happy. Right? 
It's only the Word of God's going to remind you, hey, I'm, I'm living with an eternal perspective. I've got 70, 80, 90 years on earth, and, and I can use my resources, time, talent, and treasure to, to store up an eternal future, invest in an eternity. So being content means living with an eternal perspective, which leads the author of Hebrews to his final point. Let's bring this thing home, ready? Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Isn't that great? How freeing is that? So here's it's kind of like the big therefore. God, people, I know he's writing to these, he, these people that are losing their stuff, that are getting thrown in prison because they're following Jesus. And he says, listen, here's the big therefore. God is always with us. God helps us. God provides for us. And so as Pastor Andrew pointed out two weeks ago, that means we're free to love, love, love. And we're free to give, give, give. And we're free to serve, serve, serve. And we're free to live generously, generously, generously. And we're free to forgive, forgive, forgive. And we're free to love, love, love. And we're free to serve, serve, serve. Why? Because I have no fear. Why? Because God is with me. And so I don't have to fear. And the author here asks a very important question that I want you to ask this morning. What's the worst that can happen to me? I want you to live with that question in mind. What is the worst that can happen to me? What's the worst that can happen to you? You could die. Now let me be the bearer of bad news to you. You're going to die, right? It's going to happen eventually. Now I want you to think about life and your existence in an eternal perspective. The Bible teaches we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever, thousands upon 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 thousands. Can you get your head around that? You're going to live for that long. And so when someone dies young, man, they died at 30 years. That's really tragic. Really? That's like a little bit of time. We're thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Man, they they got to live old. They lived all the way to 100. I mean, from my perspective, that's a long time, but I'm talking about thousands upon thousands. Like, oh, that's that much more time in the grand scope of your existence. And so Paul asks this very question, like, the Hebraic author asks it, and Paul asks it, what's the worst that can happen to me? And too many of us, man, we're paralyzed by fear. What, serve in the inner city? It's dangerous down there. I could die. Man, we have a, by the way, Coastal's got a great connection to Honduras. You can, one of the things that stunned me when I went to Honduras a couple years ago, a three-hour plane ride. I'm in a third world country. Just three hours. It'd be like flying to New York from here, or maybe Florida. I'm in a third world country. Did you know that Honduras is the murder capital of the world? Some of y'all knew that, and some of you haven't gone because of that. 
worst that can happen to me? You could what? You could die. The Apostle Paul says this about this. Ready? Here's your biblical perspective. Here you go. Ready? Philippians 1.21. For me, or for, for to me, living means living for Christ. But dying is what? Some of y'all know this in the old King James. For me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. Do you really believe that? Because if we really believe that, would we live differently? You bet we would. So let me answer a few questions for you on that question. Because I know some questions. But what if I die? I mean, I got kids. Who's going to take care of the kids? If I've read Luke chapter 12 right, according to Jesus, God cares for the kids more than the birds of the air. Is that true? So who's got the kids? Some of y'all don't know. It's not your question. Ready? Who's got the kids? God has the kids, right? And if I'm reading the text correctly, for me to die is what? Gain. Man, I am freed up this morning. I'm freed up. I'm freed up to live with contentment. I'm freed up. Because man, it's a rhetorical question that should be obvious where the Hebraic author says, what can mere man do to me? What's the answer? Nothing. Nothing. Why can he do nothing to me? Because in Christ, I am a part of an unshakable kingdom. Isn't that great? And so I can live content. I don't have to be captured by money because that's a temporary thing. I am captured with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a part of an unshakable kingdom. And so I can love, 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 give, 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 serve, 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 knowing that I am investing in something that's eternal because Christ is establishing an unshakable kingdom. And so what, let me ask you this, what's holding you back this morning? What's holding you back this morning? What's holding you back from being generous with your time, talent, and treasure? I propose to you this morning that probably part of our problem is we are not heavenly minded enough. We're not heavenly minded enough. Here's one of the little exercises I do whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself. I do this too, okay? I'm just like you. I do this too. I get, oh man, I ain't got enough money. I'm not going to make it. Woe is me. It affects my spirit. It affects my outlook. When that happens, one of the things I do is I pause and I just, I give thanks for what I have. I take a few moments and I go, you know what? I really do have clothing and food. I really do have all that God intends for me to have. And I just start giving thanks. In just a moment, during the offer time, we're going to show you a Bolivia video where we sent a team to Bolivia. One of the reasons we want you to go on a mission trip is one of the reasons, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons, uh, it will change your perspective on what you think you need. You're going to go to some places where you go, man, I'm thankful for the bulk of dishes that I have. There's a lot of people who don't have that. 
So here's where we're going to end this moment this morning. Ready? I want everybody to bow your head, and I want you to talk to God for just a minute, not out loud, but in your mind and your heart. And I want you just for a minute to give thanks for what you have and rest and be content in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to just give you thanksgiving. We give you praise for the gospel. It's because of Christ that to die is gain. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for the one in this room that doesn't know the gospel of Jesus. And they're like, what do you mean to die is gain? I pray this morning they turn from all the things that have captured their heart, their sin, the world around them, and they would trust Jesus Christ so that they would know to die is gain. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you clothe us. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you care for us more than the birds of the air. Thank you, Father, that you feed us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we don't depend on the United States economy to provide for us. That you do that. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this incredible country that we live in. You have blessed us beyond measure. If, you get, if we got nothing else... We have been given so much. We give you thanksgiving. Help our hearts to be content. We're kind of like more mongers, God, and we just we feel like we constantly want more. Help us to be settled with what we have in thanksgiving and praise to you so that we can be freed up with our resources to love, give, and serve. Thank you that we are a part of an unshakable kingdom in Christ. Thank you that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Thank you that we can live with the perspective of what, what can mere man do to me? Nothing over the scope of eternity. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for the freedom of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.